Hello and welcome. I'm Robert Castanello, president of UFF UCF, and this is our monthly podcast. This episode is important because it marks a milestone. This is one year that we've had and hosted this uh, podcast series. As you know, every month on the first of every month, we release a new podcast episode. And one year ago, May 1st, 2021, was our first episode, which was the 2021 State of the Union address I delivered. What I'm presenting to you here is our 2022 State of the Union address that I delivered over Zoom. The first 12 minutes of this episode is that address, and what follows it is... Um, my response to questions that were raised after the conclusion of my address. And so um, I think this is a really informative episode. You can see where I think our union has been and where our union is headed. And you can hear some of the questions and concerns. Some of our members, not only members, but bargaining unit members, had during this address. Um, And I answer them all. Uh, Again, if you're listening to this and you've been listening to this um, podcast series for the past year, thank you. Please continue to do so. And uh, also, please share this on uh, your social media accounts and get more people over here listening to the podcast. I thank you. And I will hand it off to um, the recording of my 2022 State of the Union address. Thank you. Greetings all. I'm Robert Castanello, president of the United Faculty of Florida at UCF. This is the end of my first term as president of our chapter. It has been two years and I'm honored to be speaking with you again to report the state of our union. I would like to start this address by thanking people. Over the past year, we have done the bulk of our full book negotiations for the current collective bargain agreement or CBA. Many of you came to our bargaining sessions to witness the process and to support our bargaining team. I want to first thank our bargaining team for the job they have done over these recent negotiations. Many of you emailed me or messaged me in Facebook to thank the bargaining team. And I wanna tell you, I sent those messages along to the team. I wanna thank all of you who took time out from your busy schedules to attend our bargaining sessions. Some of you came to one session, some of you came to several sessions, some names I recognized at every session. This was tremendous, not only for me, but the entire bargaining team as well. We stood on your shoulders during that session and we're in debt to you. I would like to thank the grievance team. Over the past two years, our grievance team has worked behind the scenes to make sure the contract is enforced and we can enjoy all the workplace rights which are spelled out in our CBA because of the work they do behind the scenes. Uh, They're not visible, unlike the bargaining team. You often don't know who they are unless you seek out their help. Our CBA works because we have a contract enforcement team making sure the contract is enforced for all of us. I would like to thank our chapter faculty fellows and our stewards. You may have met some of them, They're the ones contacting you to check in with you. You may know some of our stewards because they're your department or unit colleagues. Some of you might have been contacted by our faculty fellows to remind you of important events coming up, especially bargaining sessions, 
or to ask your help in supporting our union. I would like to thank our chapter council. We meet every month to discuss the issues and ideas important to improving the workplace for everyone and who make sure that the day-to-day -day running of our union happens effectively and efficiently. Finally, I would like to thank our officers, Beatrice Reyes Foster, our vice president, Michael Armado, our secretary, and Jonathan Beaver, our treasurer. They have provided me with feedback, ideas, and we as a leadership team consult and help to move our union forward in the best ways we can. These are the people and institutions that make the union run effectively, and I extend my thanks and appreciation to all of them. Most of my term as president has been occupied with bargaining because when I assumed office in 2020, we had to immediately prepare for full book negotiations. Altogether, full book negotiations took 15 months. I know that salaries in, is the single most important article that we negotiate every year. And I can say with certainty that a 2.5 salary increase was inadequate for the wage drought we've experienced since the fall of 2019, the date of our previous raise. We were successful in getting UCF to increase the one-time payment from originally $1,300 that they offered to ultimately $2,500. At the end of the year, we will get another chance at a salary increase and we will organize and message the need for a pay increase for a bargaining unit that is overworked and underappreciated. We've heard the president and provost praise all of us and how we responded to the challenges of the pandemic, teaching classes first online, then in mixed modality, while asking us all to accommodate the needs of various students. During that time, the university administration told instructional faculty and the rest of the bargaining unit that UCF could not be flexible with any conditions that might provide added safety to ourselves or our loved ones we lived with. When we heard the provost say in the faculty senate that there was no more room in the budget for salary compensation, but we know there is. It is just a matter of priorities. Our salaries have not kept up with the rising cost of inflation or the standard of living and other associated expenses. The story of the UCF operating budget is much different. The fear of funds being taken away by the legislature never materialized. Instead, the budget outlook for UCF improved and looks to improve more in this coming year. President Cartwright and Provost Johnson used only a portion of those funds on raises. The rest went to seeding funding in research department, the results of which we still have not learned about. This is what I mean by priorities. We need UCF to start to invest in people, invest in its own workforce. We in union leadership know you deserve more and we will fight to get another round of raises this fall. The good news that came out of, bar out of bargaining concerns the rights we were able to preserve. We were able to keep the one-year paid development leave option. We were able to keep the language surrounding progressive discipline preserved. So there is no fast track determination at first disciplinary infraction for those people who have tenure. Most of the rest of the contract had minor changes. There was an effort on the part of UCF to take rights away from faculty and the bargaining unit, but we were successful in pushing that back this time. What is up next are reopeners. In the fall of 2022, we will reopen the salaries article in September, as well as article 22 sabbaticals. 
we will prepare and organize for this. We know salaries are important to everyone and Article 22 is also important. We will keep messaging and keep you all informed as the bargaining team reopens negotiations at the end of this year. Now, switching gears, I wanna to speak to contract enforcement. What you may know has grievances. Many of you have reached out to me when you believe there is a problem in your department or unit, when you think the contract might be violated. I know we responded quick to your concerns. I personally, along with members of the grievance team have met with individual members in person, over the phone and on Zoom over these matters. We were successful in getting faculty excellence to step in and stop a unit from imposing evaluation measures outside those that were faculty developed and approved through the AESP process in our contract. Several of you reported to us that your colleges were using their own conflict of interest forms instead of the ones required by the UCF compliance office. We stepped in and put a stop to that. We also worked with the graduate college to be sure that thesis and dissertation committee policies were enforced equally across departments and programs when some of you reported ad hoc policies that were outside official graduate college policies. We negotiate the contract and we enforce the contract. One thing we have done is provide you with legislative updates. In the past two years, the state legislature has been encroaching into our classrooms at unprecedented speed. I have done my best to keep you informed. I redraft bills and summarize them for you. I've met with and hosted meetings to discuss various legislation and how impending legislation might impact you. There was a time we could all feel remote in relation to the state legislature. We often would check out until the end of the legislature and then maybe look into what bills were passed. But for now, those days are over. We all need to be engaged and informed throughout the entire year. Public universities are now fodder for demagogues in Tallahassee who want to serve red meat to, our most, to their most extreme constituents. These threats are not going away anytime soon. Our union is here to keep you informed and updated. Being part of a labor union is being an informed citizen. Labor unions emerged in the 19th century as a way to create a collective voice for workers and those harmed by threats, both bodily and economic in the workplace. Labor unions reformed the workplace. They brought the end to child labor, introduced the eight hour workday and overtime pay. We now have conservative politicians who want to make it a crime to teach or discuss racism, sexuality, or any other concepts they find personally non-conforming. If you fear this, or this is a concern, come to the protection of the union. Upholding academic freedom is a value we cherish, and we will fight to maintain the freedom to teach and the freedom for our students to learn. Tenure and academic freedom and the existence of our very union are under threat each year by state legislators. This is why membership and membership density is important. At the beginning of the academic year, we were at 30% density, meaning 30% of the bargaining unit were members in the union. We are now at 33% density because this year we've added 66 new members. We cannot continue in this political environment to exist below 50% membership. We could in the past because the legislature, they were not interested um, in our density and our yeah. university partners respected the union 
has the voice of bargaining. This all could end in the next legislative session or one following 2023. We need to build this union to above 50% density. Being a member, being a member publicly and proudly demonstrates to your colleagues that the union is vital, vital to you and vital to them. We have some swag. We will be distributing more swag next year. Keep the swag in your office with other items that have the union logo. Walk around campus with our blue bags displayed with our logo on them. Next year, as we meet more in person, we will provide more of these things to you so you can show your colors and say you are a proud union member. I read every email. I read every comment in our private Facebook group. If you are not a member of the union, I feel I still represent you. So what you say is important to me. Most of you have thanked me for the work I've done, for the work our union leadership has done in your name. On occasion, you have criticized me. I respond to all emails and concerns. For those of you with criticism of the, of the job I've been doing or specific things I might have done, you feel I fell short, I want to thank you. To be in leadership, I think you need thick skin. And I want to know how you feel and what you think I could be doing better. So I encourage you to reach out. Whether you're a member or not, I am open to hearing from you. Finally, I want to end on leaving you with a message of service. We only have a union and we only have an effective union because we have people who volunteer their time to serve on council, on the bargaining team, on the grievance team, or even on various committees that serve the day-to-day -day operations of our union. Our union needs volunteers. We are coming into a summer break. Please think about how you can serve the union when we return in the fall. Do you have time to join the bargaining team? Maybe the grievance team. You could step up and serve on a committee or be a steward in your department or unit. We can be a better organization if more people volunteer to build a better chapter. Thank you all for attending this address. I will take uh, any questions you might have, please put them in the chat. If you raise your hand and ask a question, um, please remember you are being recorded. I'm seeing some visual applause in the, um, in the Zoom chat. Thank you for that. Okay, um, have a question. Have you considered charging a flat fee for membership to increase density? Um, unfortunately, the chapter does not control uh, membership dues that is done um, with our parent organization. So we don't have a say in um, how much dues are. And I believe the 1% is a cap that is imposed by the US Department of Labor. So we do not have a say in, um, in that specific uh, criteria. Any other questions? I don't know who in my department is in the union and who isn't. Is there a list of membership anywhere that we can access? Um, we don't make membership lists public because there's some people who, who I'm sure don't want to be, um, do to want it to be publicly known there in the union out of fear of reprisal or something like that. But if you email me, we have a membership committee and a membership team who could work with you and, uh, and figure out the best way to approach people in your department, in your unit to talk about all the great stuff the union does and all the great stuff being a membership could do for them.
So just email me and I will put you in touch with our membership committee. Okay, does the union have any information about the new law regarding five-year post-tenure review? I saw in some news coverage that the UFF president made a statement about it. Do we know at this stage if the SUS Board of Trustees will make a policy for all state universities or if the UCF Board will create a bespoke policy just for our university? Uh, we do not have the answer to that question. And that is the million dollar question regarding this uh, five-year post-tenure review. It, um, what the legislature did is they gave the power to the Board of Governors, which um, administrates the entire SUS system to create a five-year post-tenure review system. This is what they are calling it. What we have in our contract is a sustained review system every three years. Most of you do not know about it because it's never been made or never been brought to your attention. And what happens is at the end of every three years, your cumulative um, annual evaluations are measured and you are given a score of, I think it's outstanding, above satisfactory, satisfactory or below satisfactory. And in that three-year window, if you um, are below satisfactory, your supervisor pulls you aside and you work on a plan to improve your, um, your annual evaluations. So, I believe there are university leaders who are making the case that these sustained performance evaluations that um, are specifically for tenured faculty and are throughout the entire SUS system, not just at UCF, is a post-tenure review system and fits the criteria that um, is mentioned in the legislation. Um, whether they can convince the Board of Governors that that is the case or not, I don't know. My guess would be if they do, what may happen is that our sustained performance evaluation will become five years instead of three years to conform with the legislation. But it is possible the Board of Governors meets and has a much more um, invasive five-year um, post-tenure review plan that they're going to put across all of the public universities. And if that's the case, we'll probably have to go back to the bargaining table um, in order to incorporate that language into our CBA. So all of this at the moment is unknown. I don't know where the head of the Board of Governors is. My guess would be that they support this five-year tenure tenure, post-tenure review system. And they are probably going to institute something. We'll announce it maybe in the fall or spring of, spring of next year. And then um, we will know where all this um, is going to um, going to play out, but unfortunately, today, as of today, we don't know. Um, okay, what are your thoughts about the latest bill approved by Tallahassee regarding tenure and accreditation? Is there anything that can be done to appeal this? So I kind of already talked about the tenure part of it. Uh, we just don't know. Like I said, we have sustained performance evaluation already, which I think meets the legislative criteria. And in fact, we do it every three years, not every five years, but I don't know what the, how the Board of Governors will feel about that. We'll have to wait and see. Um, the accreditation thing, I personally think this is really troubling and we haven't spent as much attention on the accreditation part as we have the post-tenure review part. And where I think the accreditation piece is really troubling is the fact that every 
accreditation cycle, a state university has to seek out another accreditor. So they can't use the same accreditor in two cycles unless they can demonstrate that finding a second accreditor was impossible. Um, they can then do that, um, but I don't know how often that will be used. The problem I think with the accreditation um, issue is twofold. One is that the accreditation legislation was passed to punish SACS, which is our accreditor, the Southern um, Accreditation Agency. And the problem the legislature had is the SACS criticized the FSU presidential search because a politician um, was being considered to be the next FSU president. And they had said something about the process being um, uh, needed more scrutiny, if you will. And legislature didn't like that. Hence the uh, presidential searches being done behind uh, closed doors, that legislation passed after this. And the other thing was Sachs criticizing the response of um, University of Florida's compliance over um, faculty members that were asked to serve as expert witnesses in the, um, in the voting rights cases that were coming through. And so Sachs did raise some concerns about academic freedom in that regard. And so the idea, I think, by the legislature was let's just get rid of SACs in the state of Florida and not have our universities use them, or at least not use them as often, I think was the purpose of this legislation. The second part um, that's troubling about the accreditation is accountability, right? So if you think about it, what do these accreditation agencies do, but they give us sort of a seal of approval, right? And they have all of these criteria that they hand off to the public universities and say, um, this has meaning about whether you meet the minimum standards of a high quality education. And a lot of that is quantitative. It's, you know, number of books in the library, journals subscribed to, number of faculty with PhDs, things like this. There's other stuff that's more qualitative, but some of it is just, you know, quantitative measures. So if something happened and say UCF fell short on some of those criteria, right? So Sachs would turn around and say, hey, there are these seven things we're concerned about and thank you, but um, we're gonna check back with you in a couple of years to make sure you, you address these things, right? And that's the way the system is supposed to work, right? Is, you know, if there's a problem in a university, the accreditation agency would find it, identify it, flag it, and then the um, college or university could respond to it, right? So imagine that scenario under this legislation. So SACS would come along and say, hey, UCF, there's these seven things we're worried about. Can you fix this? And UCF could say, no, because we're going to have a new accreditation agency in the next cycle. We're not even going to see you again. Bye bye. Right. So what happens to, you know, what, what happens to um, follow up, right? You know, uh, where, where does the um, accountability go? And that's my concern with the, with the, uh, with the accreditation. Okay, uh, moving on. What are the results of the bargaining agreement? Essentially, will faculty see any increase of pay? If so, when? Thank you. Okay, I've uh, messaged this. I've sent emails about this. So if you search your inbox, you might locate um, some of the specifics. I can't really go into all the specifics about the bargaining agreement. I mentioned some of this in um, my speech earlier, but I will say uh, for most faculty, those that are making over $48,500 will see a 2.5% increase in their first check in May and a 2,500 one-time payment. 
um, those making less than 48,500 will see a 3.5% increase again in the first check in May. Um, and as far as the rest of the, um, the agreement goes, there's very little changes between the last agreement and this agreement. There's a, a few things here or there. Um, uh, we were able to kind of beat back a lot of bad stuff. Again, I mentioned that in the, in the talk earlier. But I would just point you to our webpage has a, a summary of um, what's in the in the um, in the bargaining agreement now, and um, maybe look through your emails because I sent this out in email. And if if you need specifics, if you just email me, I'll give you uh, links to this stuff or um, specifics about what may or, or may not be in our current collective bargaining agreement. Will the raise then increase the summer day for those teaching summer? Yes, you should have noticed when you sign your summer contract, it was before the CBA was ratified. There was language at the bottom that said that the, the amount will change if there is a raise um, approved before um, the summer term. So that condition was met. So your raise should be part of the, um, the what is it, the 12% uh, calculation for your summer pay. Okay. Have you heard any rumblings that the administration will give us any guidance about teaching classes on sensitive subjects like race and gender in coming classes? Or are they assuming that nothing will change? Uh, unfortunately, I don't have a good sense of what the administration will or won't do. My guess is that this is something they will not want to uh, put a toe into, if you will, because I think they don't want to flag what may or may not be going on in our classrooms to the legislature, because there are budgetary consequences to that. Um, what is being referenced here is H HB 7, House Bill 7, which makes it, um, you know, uh, essentially a uh, an offense to, uh, or legally an offense to, to teach uh, what's described um, really poorly as uh, critical race theory in the legislation or you know, what may be construed as racism itself. It's, it's hard to say it's so poorly written. Um, the troubling thing in the legislation is the first part of the legislation, HB, HB 7, is really targeted at um, professional development, human resources, diversity offices, those kinds of things, not necessarily the classroom, okay? But it is, it is targeted at, at public colleges and universities as well. Um, however, there, are, there is language in that bill that refers to instruction that is decoupled from these other incidences that I just mentioned earlier. So conceivably someone could look at one's classroom teaching and say, hey, this person is teaching critical race theory, thus they are violating HB7, thus that university should um, have its uh, performance funding suspended in the next year. That could happen. Um, I don't know if it will, but it could based on my reading of the legislation. And I don't know that UCF is thinking about or will put out any guidance to faculty over that. I mean, certainly we will ask. We've had conversations with the um, provost over this um, uh, before the legislation was passed. And um, 
He indicated that he's a champion of academic freedom. He's, he and um, uh, our compliance officer both reiterated that um, academic freedom will prevail in the classroom. They're committed to it. So um, we can only hold them to that standard should something come from it. But um, you know, I, I think we should expect um, UCF to provide some guidance, especially now that there's a economic disincentive for them, um, you know, not to speak on this. Uh, so I'd be very interested in what they say, and perhaps um, we will send a message to the provost that uh, that this would be helpful for for all faculty impacted. Is there an official definition of critical race theory as it relates to this law? No, I don't think they actually ever used the word critical race theory in the legislation. You could check a link just popped into the chat, but I don't think they ever used that word. They describe what they think critical race theory is and some other things like, um, you know, um, the idea that teaching racism or teaching about racism or, or past incidents of race, if you will, um, would cause people to have uh, bad feelings about themselves. And so that's sort of the description or at least the outcome of, you know, if you teach something and it makes someone feel bad about themselves and that's what they're trying to uh, disabuse in this legislation. But I don't think they ever define critical race theory or use those words in the legislation. Okay. Does the critical race theory law affect our scholarship publication service or classroom and teaching only? There is nothing in the law about uh, research or service unless you are serving one of these diversity centers on campus. Like, you know, we have, a, we have diversity offices and we have um, LGBTQ support services and things like this. If you're doing something for them, it could possibly. Um, but it, your own personal scholarship and publications or service outside the university, I don't see anything in the law that would apply to that. Any other questions? Any other questions? We can uh, end things there. Thank you again, all of you for showing up. This just shows how important the union is to your lives and how important what we do is to um, all of us as workers in the shared workspace. Thank you.